Here's everything you might have missed in Obi-Wan Kenobi, Episode 4. Once again, it is Wands Day, my dudes, and we're back with a breakdown of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Part 4. We're going to break down all the Easter eggs and hidden details that you might have missed in just a moment. But in order to do so, guess what? We have to spoil what happens in Obi-Wan Episode 4. So if you haven't seen it yet and you're worried about that sort of thing, leave now before it's too late. Over there. Let's go. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? Things moved at a brisk pace in this week's episode, which had numerous homages to A New Hope, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and even The Rise of Skywalker. What? After Darth Vader turned him into Charcoal-Biwan last week, our hero drifts in and out of consciousness as Tala and Ned B whisk him away to Jabim. While this Outer Rim planet was the site of some major battles in the Clone Wars in the questionably canonical comic series Star Wars Republic, here it's the endpoint of The Path. In part three, we learned that the Path is a secret network of people who are working to smuggle Jedi and Force-sensitive people to safety. With the uniforms everyone's wearing, especially the pilot gear towards the end of the episode, this feels like the prototypical version of the Rebel Alliance that forms by the time of A New Hope. Sadly, there's no Quinlan Voss in sight. Quinn watch. But they do manage to get Obi-Wan to a Bacta tank to heal his severe burns. And while in this galactic dunk tank, Obi-Wan and Vader seemingly sense each other through the Force, as Obi-Wan has traumatic flashbacks to their battle on Mapuzo. Now, Leia's been taken to the Fortress Inquisitorius on Nur, a watery moon in the Mustafar system. And while Vader has his castle on Mustafar itself, the Fortress Inquisitorius is the headquarters of the Inquisitors. I mean, it's right there in the name. It first appeared in the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order video game, and we really explore all of its nooks and crannies in this episode. Fortunately for our heroes, this massive fortress is completely unshielded because the Empire, in their arrogance, assumes that no one would be foolish enough to attack it. And don't worry, folks, I'm sure this is the last time the Empire will ever ignore a conveniently located entrance to their super weapon or massive fortress. Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Unfortunately for Obi-Wan, the crew on Jabim is not willing to risk it all for a precocious senator's child. This trio consists of Roken, played by O'Shea Jackson Jr., Sully, played by Maya Erskine, and Wade, played by Ryder McLaughlin. In the background, you can see an R2-D2-esque astromech droid, but we note that the real R2 is safe and sound back on Alderaan. They don't want any of this Imperial smoke, especially after how Roken's wife was taken away by the Inquisitors. Undeterred, Obi-Wan wants to launch a rescue mission post-haste despite not having healed up properly. It's like when you take a short rest but still have zero spell slots right before the next boss fight in D&D. Not that I would know anything about that. <sighs> en route to Nur, Obi-Wan tries to use the Force, but his strength isn't quite at 100%. As Tala aptly remarks, Ben's body isn't the only thing that needs to heal. His inability to let the past die and the guilt that he carries with him are blocking Obi-Wan from truly accessing the Force like he used to. And that is preventing him from connecting with the ghost of his old master, Qui-Gon Jinn. Jinwon. Reva interrogates Leia, hoping to uncover the location of the path on Jabin. She mentions they found another safe house on Balnab, a different mid-rim planet we saw in the Clone Wars episode, Nomad Droids. Reva uses some familiar methods in her interrogation, including the mind probe force ability, which was a favorite tactic of Kylo Ren. Leia is resistant to it, an indication of her incredible willpower and maybe her own force sensitivity, which helps protect her mind from these kinds of attacks. It's the sister contest. 
Now, the whole sequence where a powerful dark side force user tries to make Leia spill the beans about a secret base feels like it's straight out of A New Hope. And that's fitting considering that this is part four of the Obi-Wan series. I am a princess of Alderaan. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take her away. Tala and Obi-Wan land at Fortress Inquisitorius, which once again has plenty of Lambda shuttles parked out front and TIE fighters hanging upside down like terrifying murder bats. And while Tala bluffs her way past a guy that looks like Admiral Hux's dad, Obi-Wan swims underwater using the same breathing apparatus from The Phantom Menace. He swims deep below the surface so he can take the backdoor entrance, kind of like how Cal Kestis did in Fallen Order. On his way in, we see a giant toothsome squid or starfish-like creature in the foreground. And this resembles a smaller version of the Mama Core from The Mandalorian, that tentacled creature that almost ate the wee baby Grogu. Don't play with your food. Now, if you know what this creature is actually called, please let me know in the comments below, because until then, all I've got is Death Starfish. Anyway, after pressing X to stealth kill a lone stormtrooper, Obi-Wan sneaks through the base, dodging other troopers and Imperial Seeker droids. These murder bots first appeared in the Rebels episode, Always Two There Are, as a tool used by the Inquisitors. Tala also takes out an Imperial officer of her own, and honestly, this whole episode kind of feels like how I play the game Hitman. You have this poor AI who don't notice you choking someone out several feet behind them, and if they do, they're like, huh, must have been the wind. Although, with that said, this does set up another callback to A New Hope. When Tala abandons her comlink, it echoes C-3PO forgetting to turn his back on during the Death Star rescue. Use the comlink? Oh my, I forgot I turned it off. While this is happening, Reva's interrogation goes from bad to worse as Leia outmaneuvers her. Verbally, at least. I mean, she's still a child. Reva easily catches and stops Leia's droid Lola from attacking, a move that will have dire consequences as we see in the final moments of this episode. That adorable droid is now an Imperial tracking device. Leia is then taken up to the baby torture chamber, a room that previously made an appearance in Fallen Order and calls to mind Leia's other implied torture scene in A New Hope. Now, while the child-sized restraints might seem like a weird thing for the Empire to have at first, you have to remember, the Empire's Project Harvester, a program targeting Force-sensitive kids, is in full effect, and the Inquisitors are leading the charge. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan continues exploring the basement levels of the fortress, and while neither Quinn Watch nor Jin Watch had many clues this week, we did see some other Force ghosts, or rather a tomb full of dead Jedi preserved in an amber-like substance. In the foreground on the right, we see what looks like Coleman Kassaj, an angry Jedi master who sat on the Jedi Council. It was confirmed in Darth Vader number 19 that Coleman actually survived Order 66, which would have made him a prime target for the Inquisitors. Next, we see what appears to be the corpse of Terra Sanuba, a Kosian Jedi master who we first met in the Clone Wars episode, Grievous Intrigue, and he later also palled around with Ahsoka Tano. Now, perhaps most shocking of all is the perfectly preserved body of a Jedi youngling still wearing the Padawan training helmet. This kid bears a striking resemblance to one of the younglings that Anakin encountered at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant on the night of Order 66. Now, as for the people saying they spotted Mace Windu in this tomb, well, folks, you can clearly see that gentleman's right hand is intact. So like Mace himself, we can throw that theory out the window. The real question is why are they keeping this grim trophy collection? Are they all actually dead or are they in stasis? Most likely they will be used for genetic material in Palpatine's sixth Sith science at some point down the line like we see in The Mandalorian and The Rise of Skywalker. Now Obi-Wan hears Leia cry out for help through the Force and Tala creates a distraction by claiming that she has intel on the path. 
She winds up digging herself in even deeper with Reva by claiming the path is hiding on Florum, a desert planet in the Surter system. This Outer Rim world was also inhabited by Honda Onaka's pirate crew during the Clone Wars. And speaking of Florum, Obi-Wan mops the Florum with two stormtroopers like the Jedi Master we know him to be. Looks like he's shaken off some of that rust after last week. This clever ruse winds up buying Obi-Wan the time he needs to free Leia, but they're promptly spotted by a Seeker droid and even more stormtroopers. Hilariously, one of the stormtroopers' aim here is so bad, he's the one that winds up taking out the Seeker droid so Obi-Wan doesn't have to. Even more reinforcements arrive, led by a Purge Trooper, the black and red armored stormtrooper you see here. These troopers first appeared in the comic Darth Vader number 17 and played a major role in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. They basically acted as Jedi hunting death squads who served alongside Vader and the Inquisitors. The hallway chase then culminates with Obi-Wan using the force to hold back the ocean-facing windows from breaking before sending a bunch of stormtroopers to a watery grave. Our heroes then make it surprisingly far out of this base by using the old two kids in a trench coat trick, which is perfect for sneaking out of a heavily armed military base or into an R-rated movie, two things that are equally challenging. While Reva and the other Inquisitors are ready to turn them into a fine red mist, our heroes are saved by Deus X-Wing Machina. Okay, not X-Wings per se, rather the aforementioned T-47 speeders, which you may remember best as the snow speeders on Hoth in Empire Strikes Back. But you get my point. Unfortunately for Wade, his blood will wind up greasing the wheels of revolution as he can't compete with Reva's yeet. I'm right behind you. Vader then continues his long-running management style of force choking his employees until he realizes that Reva is playing four-dimensional to Jarek. Safely off-world, we see a sullen Sully and a broken Roken dealing with Wade's death while Tala tries to wash their sorrows away with alcohol. We then get a touching moment between Leia and Obi-Wan as she clings on to him, and this, beyond anything else we've seen thus far, really hammers home exactly why Obi-Wan was the person that Leia reached out to in A New Hope. Of course, they'll have bigger fish to fry in the form of Inquisitors and Darth Vader on their tail now that Lola has been compromised. And if there's one thing the prequels taught us, there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger fish. And there you have it, folks. That is everything we spotted in Obi-Wan Kenobi Episode 4. With just two episodes to go, I'm expecting another major showdown between Obi-Wan and Vader, and some Force Ghosts for good measure. Now, if you want to delve deeper into the world of the galaxy far, far away, we have plenty of other articles and videos for you over on Nerdist.com. In the meantime, though, folks, tell us, what did you think of this episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? Say something! I tell you! Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com. 